0: We're going to be
1: looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 18. And I want you just to sit quietly. Look for Jesus in them. Watch Him. Listen for Him. Verse 11, Paul writes, Now I have become foolish. You have forced me by questioning my apostleship. Actually, I should have been commended by you instead of being treated disdainfully, for I was not inferior to those super apostles... Even if I am nobody. Now Paul seemingly has been forced in the previous verses, which we covered last week, to boast in what God had given him in visions and revelations. To the point of revealing a vision that he had some 14 years prior. This was a vision that took Paul to the very throne of God in paradise. And he heard things that could not be uttered, could not be repeated And I remarked last week, and I believe that this was a very intimate and personal time between Paul and the Father, and it's not something that he would readily share unless the Father put it in his heart to do so. Only the Spirit of God could move him. Why else would he wait 14 years to divulge this? If it were a matter of pride, if it were something that he wanted on his resume, he would have boasted in it long before now. But... The Spirit of God literally caused him to bring it forward. Now, the Spirit of God allowed him to share this to authenticate Paul's relationship with God and his authenticity as an apostle. As we have said before, as Paul repeats over and over again throughout the letter, Paul hates boasting. And I really believe this is because he was a Pharisee at one time. That he walked in the robes of pride and self-righteousness and aspired for greater grandeur in order to call himself righteous. So, Paul detests boasting and refuses to boast in the flesh. Even now, you'll notice he's not boasting in his flesh. He makes it clear. He divides after every boast. He said, but I am nothing, but not of me. All the time, he is immediately deferring to the work of the Spirit. Now, let's take that apart real quickly because people are a little confused over this. The difference between boasting in flesh and boasting in spirit. First of all, when you boast in the spirit, you're boasting in what God is doing. Not in your participation in it. Not in the fact that, he's, that you had anything to do with it. It has no reference to the flesh whatsoever. We give the glory to God. You've heard me say it often, to God be the glory. It's very important. Not because you may have a problem of trying to own what God is doing, but because the enemy will twist it. He will use it. He will come as the accuser, and he will accuse you of taking credit for what only God can do. Well, let's just take that off the table completely. When Paul is speaking, he is speaking directly, boasting directly in what the Spirit of God has accomplished. And he has utilized Paul as a messenger. He has utilized Paul as a person to manifest his life and power through. So there's no boasting in the flesh. Not even now. Let's look at something Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul addresses the arrogance and pride of the Corinthians, and he says, For who regards you as superior, or what sets you apart as special? What do you have that you did not receive from another? And I would ask you the same question. Every one of us have received from the same. It continues, And if, in fact, you received it from God or someone else, Why do you boast as if you had not received it, but had gained it by yourself? That, my friends, is boasting according to the flesh. That is boasting in the flesh. Paul says, it's a farce. It's a lie. Walking around, talking about what you accomplished, even if it was accomplished by the intellect even if it was accomplished by human strength, even if it was accomplished by human strategy, even if it was a Herculean task, it cannot be your boast because you would not draw your next breath if God did not hold you together. In everything, we give him praise and glory. So Paul recognizes the source of all that he manifested to the glory of God was the life that he shared with Christ. None of it was a product of the flesh, and he is frankly embarrassed that he had to some degree enter into this boasting. So this is where he starts in verse 11. And then he shames them, and he says, I should have never had to do this because I'm not inferior in any way to these false apostles. He calls them super apostles in a way to point out that they were vain and self-glorious. And the apostle is called to manifest the character of Christ. And among it, among that is humility. Humility. Now, you're called to that same humility. You're called to manifest the character of Christ. Now, understand this is not you literally producing Something that you did not have before. Nor is it you stepping aside and allowing Christ to come forward so that he could be humble. Both of those concepts are wrong. The second concept is wrong because you're in union with him. And he produces all that he will produce through you, uniquely through you, that you might be a part of it together. I'm talking about Christ and you. Okay? Now, he, the character of the life that he has given you is not looking for glory. The truth of you is that you you are literally in union with his humility. You're not looking to glorify your flesh. You're not looking to promote yourself. So if you were, you would be boasting according to the flesh, which really has no boast at all. But... When you say that Christ is in me and I am manifesting humility, the humility of Christ, he is not doing it apart from you. Understand that? He is not doing it apart from you. If he was, it would really wouldn't need you, would he? And certainly I would not be the best illustration for humility. But he is doing something greater. He is literally showing that he has made a new me. Galatians 2.20 It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live. Now he didn't say the the life that Christ now lives, did he? He says the life that I now live, which means that he lives it in union with Christ, the vine and the branch. Can the branch exist apart from the vine? Apart from me you can do what? No. No. But when we look at the vine, we look at the branch, and one is a part of the other, and the vine exists, can exist apart from the branch, but the branch can't exist apart from the vine. I am, in my new creation being, literally dependent to be what he created to me to be on the life that he placed in me, which is his own life. I, I hope that didn't get murky for you. But the truth of it is, That God has created you to act and operate out of your union. You are not a tool. I know we like to use that Christian terminology and it makes it sound all humble and whatnot. But God created you for relationship. And how's the relationship with your shovel going? It's not. He didn't create you to be a tool. He created you to be a child of God literally the offspring of the Father. So, we talk about humility, we're talking about Christ expressing himself, but you literally expressing the truth of what you were created to be. When you are being humble, you're being true to your created being. When you're being loving, you're being true to your created being. When you are being Everything that Christ was, you are literally manifesting the truth of your created being. And it's God's work. So why is it these things come against me? Why is it that I have things constantly accusing, things constantly harassing, things constantly attacking? Why do they come? So that I can greet them with my created being. So then I can greet them out of the life that he placed in me. Not my flesh. My flesh isn't up to the challenge. It'll fall on the first volley. But with his life, through Christ, I can do all things. So, Paul recognizes that the life that he lives is not... The identity of his flesh, it's the identity of his spirit, who he is. He's a spiritual person. Verse 12, the signs that indicate a genuine apostle were performed among you fully and most patiently, signs and wonders and miracles. In this verse, Paul refers to the wonders and miracles which were manifest through Paul for the authentication of the message that he brought. It was the evidence of God's anointing. And the Corinthians had witnessed it. So Paul says they were done with all patience. Some of your translations might have said uh, perseverance. Done with perseverance. Now here's what I want you to see. Perseverance, the Greek word for that, it means to endure under a very hard and difficult experience. In other words, in the midst of persecution. So... What he is saying is that I was underneath intense, harsh persecution and what was squeezed out of the center of my life were miracles, signs, and wonders. All for the express purpose of authenticating the message of the Spirit of God through me. You see, God kept him in a place of physical weakness, a place of vulnerability, a place where he was devastated in so many different ways and attacked in so many different ways so that when Paul stood up and said, behold, the work of the Lord, people would say, yeah, it's got to be God, couldn't be him, got to be God. Well, Paul is talking about that very thing. When he talks about the signs and wonders, don't think he's walking around with his thumbs in his armpits. He is saying, literally, under great persecution, at my weakest and when I am constantly being put upon by the world, by the enemy, by the flesh, at that point, when I am being decimated in the flesh, I am literally being the expression of God's power in the Spirit. In this verse, Paul refers to what the Spirit of God did. And we, we have read all that he endured up to the point where he wrote this letter. We went through all the hardships and the difficulties, the shipwrecks, the beatings, and all of those things. We talked about those things. And we know that Paul endured more than the physical body can possibly endure. He endured more than the flesh could possibly endure. He endured it for the sake of the gospel. Now, why is that? Do you know he counted it a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ? But let me tell you something. If you share in the sufferings of Christ, then you are going to share in the resurrection power of Christ. And that is what he was most, most excited about. He said, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses, For none of these things completely destroyed me. They could not. Paul's confidence was that he was not going to be destroyed. Because he was eternal. And if they took his flesh to be absent from the body, would be to be present with the Lord. But I'll be here. I would rather be with him, but I'll be be here with you. That God may have his work among you. That's Paul speaking. He knew that the flesh was the prop that he was wearing. He knew it was the suit that he had to endure for the time being. He wasn't concerned about protecting it. Did you notice that? How much self-protection do you see from Paul? Do you think that's a gift of the Spirit? None. Absolutely none. Why? Because Paul had discovered a truth. Christ was his protection. Christ was his life. Christ was his provision. Christ was his strength. Christ was his endurance. Christ was his hope. In all things he possessed whatever was needed for whatever Christ had laid before him. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we're all on the same path. And the resurrection of Christ is within you. And no matter what you meet on that path, it meets that resurrection life. God would not have you afraid. He would not have you tremble. He would have you stand in the truth of your victory in him. Knowing that you are more than a conqueror. Not becoming one. For what is before you has already been conquered by the very life of Christ. It is literally going to have to pay homage to the one who created the very beginning of earth it's going to have to bow before him. There's nothing that's going to assault you that Christ has not already broken. Now we can live in the frailty and the weakness of flesh or we can live in the strength and the power of his resurrection life but I tell you that life is more often revealed in our weakness isn't it? Well he went on Paul never looked to receive blessing from this world. He never looked to receive peace for his flesh. Life for him was in the presence of the Prince of Peace. Paul didn't look to this world for comfort. He trusted in the God of all comfort. Paul never drew hope from this temporal world. His hope was in the Lord. And the flesh cannot produce these. They are a product of his life. And the flesh would not endure such a life. These false apostles were not in this for that. They were in it for their own prosperity, for their own comfort. They had no desire to live the way Paul lived. The world has nothing to offer us. Nothing. When we live after the flesh, we lose our passion for his presence, for his word, for his people, for his ministry. We become lethargic, and we're more self-interested than Christ-interested. We become self-centered and live for the world. Paul wrote about the life of an apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. He makes this comment. He says, For I think God has exhibited us apostles at the end of the line, like men sentenced to death and paraded as prisoners in a procession. Because we have become a spectacle to the world. A show in the world's amphitheater, both to angels and to men. Now, think about that. What do you think they were showing? What do you think they were displaying to the world, to angels and to men? That out of the frailty of flesh is the manifestation of the power of God. That's what they were showing. Do you think that the selfish wanted any part of that life? I don't think so. Verse 13. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches except for the fact that I did not burden you with my financial support? Forgive me for doing you this injustice. Paul is obviously being a little ironic or sarcastic. The uh, false Apostles had declared that Paul's ministry was a farce, a practice of deceit, and Paul was a phony. Paul is not a true apostle, they say. They had in some way implied that the Corinthian fellowship was inferior to other fellowships because they had tolerated Paul. Right? Well, Paul responds with, how were you treated as inferior? Tell me, how were you treated as inferior? Except that I never asked you for anything. I required no support for the almost two years I spent ministering to you. I asked for nothing for helping you shoulder your burdens, the countless hours of teaching, discipling, and counseling. This, of course, was by God's intention, because he knew what accusations were going to come against Paul, even before the enemy made them and before Paul knew them. So he says, don't worry about their support. I'll take care of you, Paul. You know, obedience is the simplest thing in the world. Yet the hardest because obedience requires us to trust him completely. And He doesn't call you to do just the easy things. He will call you to do the things that your flesh is totally incapable of doing. He'll put you in places and situations and circumstances that your flesh cannot rise to meet. And we come before God as though we were being persecuted. Oh, God, how could you do this to me? Oh, God, how could you allow this in my life? Oh, God, why I was faithful? Why would I be put in this position? And God says, I'm not touching you, I'm not doing anything but literally pouring my life through you, your flesh is the only thing that's hindered here. Your weakness is a venue for my strength. Why are you so sad? Why do you act like you're defeated even though the battle's already been won? Why do you walk around like a victim when you're more than a conqueror? Why do you see the things that come upon this life as some big surprise? This world is designed, it was literally put into the mold of sin so that everything will have a work of death around you, but you will walk with life. In this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer because the life that is within you has overcome the world. How was Paul's needs met? How was he going to take care of himself? What was he going to do? Paul trusted in the Lord. And he was in this position out of obedience, not out of necessity. That's an interesting thing. Obedience is not necessary, is it? (laughs) But when we choose it, we see the glory of our God. We are affirmed in the truth of who we are. Now, verse 14. Now, for the third time, I'm ready to visit you. I will not burden you financially because I do not want what is yours, not your money or your possessions, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for the children. Now, Paul knows that what he has written in this letter is going to be twisted, to be construed as an appeal for support. So he's going to chop the head off that snake before it ever leaves its hole. He's going to say up front, no, I am not coming to you for your support. No, I am not asking your support. In fact, I am not going to take any support from you. Does he say that out of pride? No. He says it out of obedience to illustrate the truth that his provision was never the Corinthians. And God's way of yanking out the argument from the false apostles. Now, here again. Who was Paul's defense in this? Who set that up? Who prepared the path for Paul? God did. God took care of it all. He knew that they would twist it, so he makes it clear. But I want you to look at that verse. And if you've got a little pen there, I want you to underline something there. I want you to hear the heart of the Father. This is what Father says. I am in it for you. I am in it for you. All that I have done, I did for you. Is that not the character of Christ? Huh? The selfless humility, this unconditional love, it's not the work of flesh. Listen, Jesus, I've said this many times, Jesus has traded everything, his everything for your nothing. As a friend of mine used to say, he took all your zeros and put a one in front of them." Jesus gave you life. Verse 15, but I will gladly spend all my own resources and be utterly spent for your souls. Keep that, underline that. If I love you greatly, am I to be loved less by you? Verse 16, but be that as it may, I did not burden you with my support. But some say that I was sly and took you by trickery. What does Paul mean by this? Well, the Greek word that he uses there for spin, it's been translated spin, actually means to exhaust all of your resources. That means everything. It is not just about money. It's about your physical life, your time and energy. It means that Paul would give all. He would literally exhaust himself of all that he has to the point of death. Paul is determined to love them regardless of how they respond to him. Now, that is what we call unconditional love. It doesn't require anything from the recipient. You would think they would at least say thank you. You would think there would at least be some gratitude. You would think that with such an expression of love, there would be no hostility. There would at least be acceptance. You would think this love is Christ's love, and it doesn't look for any of those things.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road, and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.